Welcome into another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Today on the show, I'm going to be joined by Maria Martin from 11 Alive. We'll kind of break down some Hawks and Falcons and Braves and just kind of go around the Atlanta landscape. Arthur Smith, I think he's that dude. I really do. And the biggest benefit so far to NIL, I'm loving this. It's all next on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Welcome into a Friday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. The way you can do that is head over to youtube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your browser, hit the subscribe button, be a part of our ever-growing group, and uh, want you to leave us some comments, some reviews, things like that. Let us know. Give us some feedback on the shows and ask you to follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Obviously, the big story yesterday was Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher, which is going to be the main event, I understand, for WrestleMania next year out in Hollywood, California. No, I mean, look, here's the thing. And and everybody's broken down 75 ways to Sunday. What Nick said, what Jimbo said, where we at here, this, that, and the other. Here's the thing that I love, love about this whole thing. And if nothing else... NIL has created. It is bringing to the surface some personal animosities that maybe some coaches and some things have because the money and every listen, money always changes everything, right? You know, the old saying is follow the money. Remember, we broke down how the NFL and how they spend it all that weeks ago. Follow the money. And when you get lots of money involved, you see and you mess with people's money, you see true feelings come out among people. And that's what we're seeing right now, because it's not just Jimbo versus Nick Saban. Hey, what about Pat Narduzzi going after Lincoln Riley saying, the hell you doing, you know, recruiting this kid with money? Now it turns out Jordan Anderson, the, the, the Bolitnikoff winner, the best wide receiver in America, he's going to Southern Cal like Narduzzi said he was, and he may be linked to a three and a half million dollar deal for NIL. Now, does it make it illegal or this, that, and the other? But I love this aspect of it. I want to see more of this. Because you know what I'm tired of in all sports whatsoever? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of all that. I don't want everybody to be friends. I don't want pats on the back. I don't want everybody to get along and shake hands and enjoy each other's company and sing Kumbaya and all this other nonsense. I love this about NIL. Because when you mess with the money, Brother, brother, you start messing, you know, with this is where I eat, how I feed my, I love it. And I hope, I know Greg Sankey came out yesterday. Hey, you guys, take your darn hands off of one. Again, Lane Kiffin was supposed to be on a radio show today. Sankey put the kibosh on. Hey, we don't want people responding. We don't want more. The hell with that. I want everybody. I, I want I want fisticuffs. I want the whole thing. Don't do this monkeying around of putting the governors. And I understand that's not the image that they want. They don't want Nick Saban going on. The, you know, look, look what happened. Saban's at an event. He says the thing. 
Jimbo holds a press conference. Saban goes on radio. Kiffin was on a radio show. Kiffin was supposed to be on radio again today, right? And we get this whole domino effect. Of, I love that. I love it. I want guys to be angry at one another. I want guys to compete. I don't, I, I understand Kirby spent a decade with Nick Saban. And I understand that behind the scenes, Kirby wants to beat the brakes off of Nick Saban. I get that. But you know what? Putting that in the public face isn't a bad thing either. You can have respect for Nick Saban. I think Jimbo has respect for Nick Saban, but Saban made it personal, didn't he? And Saban didn't say anything. I'm telling you, Saban didn't say anything wrong. They played with Nick or uh, Jimbo and Texas A&M played within the rules. They did what they had to do. You know, Jimbo before this recruiting class had, I think, gotten five five star kids to come to Texas A&M. They signed seven in one day. Is that because he's a great recruiter? Jimbo is a great recruiter, by the way. I mean, that 2010 Florida State class with Winston and I think Dalvin Cook and all that. That's as good a class as there ever was in the history of college football. Won him that national title. But it got personal for, for Jimbo. And his frustrations bowled up to the surface. Jordan Addison hadn't even made a decision about where he was going to go. And there were already rumors about obviously going to USC and playing with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley's mind. And I can be like Drake London. I could be a first round wide receiver and blah, 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 blah. Narduzzi took that personal. Hey man, this is the best player I have on my roster coming off an ACC championship. I lost my first round NFL quarterback and I want my next guy to succeed. Cool. I've got this super stud Bolitnikoff winning wide receiver and he's going to leave and he's going to go out and play for that guy because they're going to offer. Yeah. So I love it. I hope we get more of this. I'm, I'm, I'm scouring the news cycles looking for what kids going in the transfer portal. That's really good. Or what kid was supposed to go here and he got an NIL deal over here and decided that nah, you know what? Forget, forget whatever, forget Clemson. I'm going over here to, to Georgia or whatever. I don't want these guys to like one another. You know, you can have, it's like everything in life, right? You can have respect for another guy. Jimbo respects what Nick Saban is. Kirby respects what Nick Saban is. And you can say some of that and, and put it out there in a friendlier setting. But want those guys to want to beat the brains out of the, I want, I want Kirby to want to beat the brakes. And I think he does. And I, and I get that sense. But I'm not going to be mad if Kirby Smart, you know, whatever. Let's say Alabama steals a kid from Georgia that they thought was locked up, committed, and all of a sudden he ends up in Alabama and gets a $2 million NIL car deal. He's got the Lamborghini and he's got all this stuff, right? Like B. John Robinson got in Texas, got the Lamborghini and all this kind of stuff, and he gets this massive deal. I want Kirby to come out and be pissed at Nick Saban. I want him to come out and say, well, you know, that's – interesting turn of events or whatever like that. So I guess we know where I want that. This has been great for college football because again, too often these guys are playing golf and let's shake hands and I don't want that. Let's have a little bit of controversies. Eric Bischoff famously says controversy creates cash. Let's have a little bit of controversy. It's okay in all sports. Expand this out to all sports. Is there anything worse than in the NBA 
when two teams are about to go at it against one another in a series that you see the guys at half court, num, 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 big hugs, patting each other on the back. Hey, we've all got the same agent and isn't it great? And I love you, brother. I love you, man. I love you, man. What happened to good guy, bad guy? Bill Russell would have thrown a ball at your head before he'd have shook your hand. Bob Gibson would have plunked you in the back. Bob Gibson talked about in the all-star game. I'm not letting up because it's the all-star game. I want to beat those guys' brains in. When, when those guys in the American, when Mantle and Maris and Yastrzemski and all those guys come up and Calavito and all those guys come up in the big leagues in the all-star game, I want to beat their brains in. And if I got to plunk them, I'll plunk them for it. So that's been the best thing about this is that now some of these personal animosities and touching folks' money has get these guys on their emotional train. And brother, I am all here for it. All right, when we come back, we will talk to Maria Martin from 11 Alive. Of course, you see her sports anchor, and uh, we will get into some Braves, some Hawks, some Falcons. We'll just chop it up. We'll go all over the Atlanta landscape with her. It's all coming up next. It is uh, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back into Hitting Hard on Locked On Sports Atlanta. John Chuckery here with you, asking you to head over to YouTube.com. Check out our page. Just put Locked On Atlanta in your browser and hit the subscribe button. Be a part of our ever-growing community. And, of course, you can follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We welcome into the program. Maria Martin is joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at Ria underscore Martin. You see her all the time on 11 Alive. And thank you so much, Maria, for uh, being a part of the show today. Thanks for hanging out with me for a few minutes. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you asked me to come on. Well, let's uh, go all around. Uh, let's start with the Braves um, so I can get my frustrations uh, out of the way. <laughs> Look, um, uh, look, here's the good news. Lately, their starting pitching has been outstanding, and I think we're all glad to finally see that at least that part of this team has really come together. They've been outstanding lately. Anderson, Freed, everybody's been terrific. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we've been waiting on for a long time now. Max Freed said that he had struggled with fastball command previously, but he's had some really good outings. He's been really consistent. Um, and you can lean on a couple different guys to be consistent. I think the bullpen was really what we saw last year was a big point of emphasis with this team, but they've been kind of falling apart, um, you know, each and every week. And now you have guys that are injured. Tyler Matzik is out. Luke Jackson is out from the bullpen. So to rely on starting pitching and finding Finally see Charlie Morton get some really valuable innings and really seem like the Charlie Morton that we knew that he came into last year. I think that's so important and you're going to need that because this offense has been struggling a whole lot for the Braves. You know, I look at the lineup and, you know, we know all the metrics. They're not good with runners in scoring position. They're not good with guys at third base. And we can talk yeah. about balls in play and all this kind of metrical stuff that people love. But at the end of the day, if you're not producing, you're not producing. I have some concerns about maybe one or two guys. Is there anybody in particular in the lineup that you start looking as we're getting toward the end of May here that you have a little bit of concern with and wonder, okay, when does that switch sort of flip for that person? Uh, I think it's pretty much every single guy in the lineup because mm -hmm. I think if it's not one guy, it's another, right? You know, we saw Ozuna struggling for quite some time and we've seen glimpses of him breaking through. He's been able to connect and hit the long ball a little bit in the last couple of series, which is great. 
but it hasn't been consistent. And I think consistency is the biggest key word when it comes to this offense. We haven't seen that. I mean, this is a lineup top to bottom when you talk about metrics that these are a lot of guys that have had 30 home run seasons within the last three years. I think there's like six of them. Um, Ozzy Albies hasn't been producing like you want him to. Matt Olson, certainly. I mean, he's hitting sub 200 and, and that's not really what you expected from the new first baseman. So I think top to bottom, there's a lot of concerns. Uh, Dansby Swanson certainly hasn't produced like we have wanted him to. We've seen him turn a little bit of a corner. Um, I've liked Dansby's defense in the last couple of series, but you know, this is a lineup who has struggled last year, same thing, you know, through July. And so if we're looking like this is May and we're getting towards the midway point of the season, you really want them to turn a corner because what they're doing right now is not working. You can't just rely on the long ball. And that's something that they've done consistently well, but that's not really going to win you ball games. You saw them. I mean, the thing that happened with the Brewers in Milwaukee, that was just kind of a freak thing. They were up for nothing and they end up losing seven, six. Um, you can't rely on Kenley Jansen to have a good outing every single time. He's been so consistent. He's been so good, but you have to rely on these bats and this offense to get things going. And they haven't turned a corner yet consistently top to bottom. There is no consistency. Ronald Acuna Jr. Just when you think he's back and he's healthy and he looks great, he misses five games with a groin injury. So you just need someone to be consistent. And at this point, top to bottom, I don't think there's a single guy in this lineup who I can rely on. You know, you brought up Ronnie. I've sort of said Felicia's, uh, um, I've sort of joked on my show about the idea of, I don't care if Ronnie has to be the DH for the rest of the year and you have to play Ozuna in left field. And I'm kind of being facetious when I say all of that, but the idea being his bat has to be in the lineup all the time. And if his bat Mm -hmm. is not there, you see the difference between what goes on with and without this lineup. I don't know. I mean, I understand the injury factor of it, and I understand he's still sort of rehabbing. But, boy, you've got to do everything you can to just at least keep his bat in that lineup on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. And certainly Ronald Acuna Jr. would not disagree with that either. He is his biggest advocate, and he's constantly telling Snit that he wants to play, no matter what that looks like. Um, But, you know, these injuries are concerning. And even though it was just a groin injury, I was starting to get worried in the fact that he was consistently missing games just after missing, you know, a whole season and a half, really, um, when you put the two together. And when I saw him in Gwinnett, because I was physically there for that last rehab assignment, Um, when he was supposed to go seven innings and and went the whole nine. He looked better than I'd ever seen. And granted, that was just in Gwinnett. It wasn't at the major league level. But he really looked solid, top to bottom, defensively and offensively. Offensively, we saw what he could do just in his first couple of games back with the Braves in a big league uniform. And, And you want that to be the consistency that we've talked about. I think, to your point, John, I think maybe Ronnie's bat would be a good thing consistently in this lineup. But it seems like, you know, Snicker is not married to the idea of having him consistently in this lineup, which is a little confusing. Um, We'll see what happens. I think really it just goes back to the fact that he's been banged up and that groin injury has been nagging, but he keeps saying, let me play, let me play, at least let him hit designated hitter. He he could do that instead of playing right field um, for a whole nine. So we'll see. I mean, I think that when we continue to talk about consistency, maybe Ronald Acuna Jr.'s bat could be the good thing to turn this thing around, but they were without him last year. I hate to bring that up, but when they won a World Series, they were without yeah. him, and they find they found a way to win, and, and they found a way to make things happen. So there is an answer within that. I just don't think they have found it yet. 
Yeah, they also had this guy named Freddie Freeman that uh, when he yeah. turned it on, their their record looked a lot different. So, well, they'll start <laughs> up in Miami and hopefully they'll get on a winning streak here. Let's uh, flip over. Can I say that. one thing really quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good thing for the Braves, I think, is that they're playing a lot of games coming up with teams that they can win. So they really need to get to that 500 threshold and then over it. Um, they keep flirting with being almost 500 and they have some series coming up with some of the worst teams in baseball right now. So yeah. you can get your confidence up, get some wins in there, figure out what lineup is the sweet spot and what they need to do to put the ball in play and actually make runs come across the plate. And I'm not just talking about coming off the long ball. Then I think that that's going to at least build confidence within this offense to keep going towards the second half of the season. Yeah. To your point, I've said June 2nd, if you look at the calendar on June 2nd, while the Braves are playing Colorado, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Washington, oh, yeah. that's when the, that's when the Mets have to head to play the Dodgers, Padres, Angels, and then come back home for the Brewers. So I'm with you. I mean, early part of June, there is a definite transformation between those two teams and how their schedule looks. So again, to me, they if, if you can't get it done, then I, I don't I don't know when the switch is going to get flipped on all of this. Um, yeah. Let's flip over to the Haw or sorry, the uh, Falcons. Where are you on the idea of Desmond Ritter starting this year? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not in the Desmond Ritter. I, I don't want to see Desmond Ritter start, and I have my reasons, but I'm curious, where are you at on that discussion? I mean, I don't either. If we're talking about game one, I don't think that Desmond Ritter should be your starting quarterback. That doesn't mean that I solely believe in Marcus Mariota and the future of this franchise. It just means that I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The quarterback position in the NFL is the trickiest to get correct. And Marcus Mariota is proof of that. Look at his college career and look at his NFL career. I mean, the two are not simultaneous so far. Maybe he flips the switch in Atlanta and does some things that we've never seen before um, that he had in a Raiders uniform and a Titans uniform. But it's just so hard to really gauge how a quarterback is going to do in the NFL until he puts on the uniform. I know that's so cliche, but I really mean it. It is a totally different animal when you get out there. And listen, he doesn't have a whole lot of help on offense when we're talking about Desmond Ritter. So you put a rookie in there who really has never seen any valuable snaps in the NFL, literally zero. And then you have an offensive line who is going to, you know, have you running for your life a little bit a couple times. He doesn't really have the pieces in place yet to be successful right away. There are some rookie quarterbacks that walk into an offense and they've got a lot of help. Well, Desmond wouldn't have that. So I don't really think putting somebody who has zero meaningful snaps in the NFL in on game one is going to do you any favors. Now, that's not to say that I don't think that he could be the starting quarterback in the future. He has the intangibles. Um, I really like him off the field. Everything that he says, I love. Um, I think that he's really poised. He has all of the things and the makings that would make you think that he could lead a football team. But let's see what happens when he puts a uniform on, gets hit a couple times, and really has to figure how to make this offense work. Because whoever is back there behind the offensive line for the Falcons is going to have to make some magic happen more times than not. They're going to have to see the playbook and kind of open it up on their own. Because there are not a lot of pieces in place that'll really razzle dazzle you when you're looking at the the roster here for the Falcons. This is going to be a really tough year. And the only way to get through that, in my opinion, is at least starting out with a guy who has meaningful snaps in the league. And that would be Marcus Mariota. That could change in the middle of the season. I'm cool with that. I, I, I want to see how Desmond Ritter does in the preseason. And he certainly is going to fight for a job. He's been a big advocate of that. Um, he said that in rookie minicamp that, you know, this is a competition and it absolutely is. He has every opportunity to prove himself, but game one, I do believe it should be Marcus Mariota. 
So out in Vegas, where they build those 80-story casinos because of all the money that uh, keeps pouring in there, they're saying <laughs> Falcons somewhere in that four-and-a-half to five win range. I think they're going to beat that. What say you? Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, this has always been a team, and this is I've said this before, too. This has always been a team that surprised me. They're going to get some wins they probably shouldn't have, and they're going to lose right. some that they probably shouldn't have. And certainly this year I don't think is a make-or-break year for Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. There is no question in my mind that people should not be angry one way or another, whatever, whatever happens this year. They're trying to manage the cap situation. They're doing very well with that, might I add. I, I've been impressed with what they've done so far. Um, but this is such a weird team. It's like a hodgepodge of guys that a lot of people haven't heard of. There's no like celebrity stars on offense or defense. I mean, you have Grady Jarrett and Jake Matthews are your two veterans on this team right now. It's, it's so wild to me. So I think they're going to beat the four and a half to five. Um, Cause again, I think they're going to sneak in some wins that maybe people don't expect. Um, but this is just such a tough year. On top of that, they have a ridiculous schedule. And so, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's hard, but I definitely think they're going to get over five wins. They're going to sneak in some that you wouldn't expect there. But I just don't even know what to expect with this team this year. I just don't know it's going to be great. I just know that it's not going to be great. Well, I think they have the right coaching staff in place. I think that's the thing. Yeah. I think they showed you last year that Arthur Smith, Dean Pease, they've got the right guys there. So, uh, And still a lot of offseason. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's still going to be some more moves uh, coming up. Let's uh, flip over to the Atlanta Hawks. I was very comforted hearing Tony wrestler speak. And he was the one guy that I was pointing to on a consistent basis. Like I'm not going to know how to feel about the Hawks until I hear him. What did you think about what he had to say and sort of the direction of where this franchise is going? Um, I was a little shocked to be honest with you, that he was as open and honest as he was. Um, I really appreciated the fact that he was just candid in the fact that, Hey, look, we thought that having the team almost essentially the same team that went on that Eastern conference finals run a year ago, transferring that into the new season, we thought that was going to work and it didn't. And I, I was really surprised, but also to use your word comforted in the fact that he said that because it didn't work. And we saw what happened. I mean, right. they were just flat against the heat and the heat really, to be honest, even though they're my team, sorry, everybody, they're not that good. And so to see the Hawks be incredibly flat against them, um, it was really concerning, especially uh, Trey obviously had a really bad series against the heat, but I think it's a promising thing and things to be optimistic about when you're a Hawks fan. What he said was that they are going to make some big changes in the offseason, and you have to be excited about that because they have to. Clearly, they didn't make a lot of big changes going into this year. Didn't work out. That's fine. We're going to wash this season, whatever. But next year, I think their backs are against the wall, and they're going to have to answer to some things. And you really, really, really need to do some big moves in the offseason to make sure that the Hawks are successful because to have an Eastern Conference Finals team and then to be out in the first round of the playoffs, that's just not going to cut it. Celtics in seven, by the way. That's uh, that's my. <laughs> that's okay. I actually don't disagree with you. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, follow her on Twitter at Rhea underscore Martin. You see her. She is the sports reporter for Eleven Alive News and joined us here. Thanks so much, Maria, for being a part of it. Thanks for hanging out with me, and we'll talk here soon. Absolutely, anytime. You guys have a great day. Thanks. It's hitting hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. Head over to YouTube.com. Put Locked on Sports Atlanta into your browser. Search us. Hit the subscribe button. Boop. Right like that. Free and easy to do. Leave us a comment. Give us a review. Tell us what you think about what we're talking about here. And as always, follow me on my personal Twitter page. That would be at JMCH316. You know, the results may not show it this year, but... 
we've talked about the Atlanta Falcons and the idea of, we were talking about with Maria about the idea of probably winning more games, maybe not a ton, but maybe more games than what they're getting credit to, to win in the Vegas casinos. And I understand those guys are not normally wrong or whatever like that, but I do think the Falcons are going to be better than say four to five wins. What that is, I mean, six, maybe seven. I think six is probably the realistic number for this team. But it will point out, if they win six games, it's going to be because Arthur Smith really is a good coach. The problem will be that his record after two years, you know, if he's 7-10 and 10 last year, and let's say he goes 6-11 and 11 this year, so he's 13-21. and 21. What does that look like, you know, when you flash it up on the screen on ESPN and say, Arthur Smith is 13, and, oh, man, he sucks. I mean, they, they suck but they don't. And I think that's the thing that we're going to find out about Arthur Smith. And look, this thing could all go sideways. So I'm putting all the caveats in the world. I get it. I understand this thing may not work out and it could be miserable and all this, but I really do believe in Arthur Smith. And I think even if you told me that Arthur Smith was 13 and 21 after two years in the NFL, I'd tell you that that was nothing but a success because he'll have coached two bad rosters and turn them into a team that probably won more than they should have found a way to win close games. That was the thing about last year that really sold me on Arthur Smith. Look, he has to get better at timeouts, two minute management, you know, four minute offense. There are things about Arthur Smith that he has to get better. He's not a unflawed coach or anything like that, but when you win close games in the NFL, that tells me a lot about you. When you can come out right away and get your team to win close one-score games, which the previous season, the Falcons were dreadful. What were they? They were 1-7 or 1-8 or whatever in one-score games the year before under Dan Quinn. And think about all of the, you know, the, the, the games where they had these win probabilities at like 98% when – they were, you know, at, at some point in the game when they were leading and they just blew those games, right? You know, Bears, Cowboy, take your pick and all that. So to turn that around and to be whatever it was last year, I think it was six and two or whatever that they were in one score games. That's where the NFL lives. And that's where coaching gives you the advantage. The NFL is not like college football. You know, you're Alabama. Most of the games that you play during the course of a season are 48 to 17. Right. I mean, you play Vandy, you play Missouri, you play this, you play and, and, and Alabama just dominant. Hell, even when they play, say, Tennessee or Auburn or even A&M, you know, I mean, I know they lost last year, but, you know, by and large, they'll go out and dominate like A&M or LSU. Right. Most of their games are not all that competitive. So you don't get to see them in many high leverage situations. Right. The NFL is not like that. The NFL isn't go out and beat teams by 25 every week. The NFL, when you see a double-digit spread in the NFL, that's a number. That, that's still, in today's NFL, a big number when you see 10 or 13 points in the NFL. That's a big spread because all of those guys are the best of the best of the best of the best, as Will Smith said. And so the NFL lives in one-score, close games, coming down to the wire, a kick here, a play there, and this, that, and the other. So if you can coach your team up 
to not beat themselves and find a way to win those games. Either you have the ability to come back, you have the ability to run out the clock, you have the ability to just hang on for dear life. I don't care. Because unlike college, too, you don't have to impress anybody. The NFL is, here's the wins, here's the losses, here's the ties, and we go on and look at the standings, and you get ranked on all those, and that's where you are. No Harris poll, no BCS computer, no committee, no playoff group, no this, no that. Everybody just, it's you won or you didn't. And you got 17 games to sort out your record, and we'll adjust you on some tiebreakers as we need to. But otherwise, your record tells you what you are. And I don't think that Arthur Smith's record after what will be two full seasons in the NFL may tell the story. Now, again, I'll say this could all turn on a dime. This could all end up blowing up in our face and the defense is bad and they can't figure out their offense. And they may be a two and 15 team. And that would be a disaster. When you start becoming a franchise that is in the zero to two or three win range, your franchise is a disaster at that point. You are, I mean, just call it like it is. You're two and 15, you're three and 14, you're 0 and 7, I mean, 1 and 6. You're in that range. Your franchise is not in a good spot. And that's why I don't think that the Falcons will be there. I don't think their record will even be at that point. That's why I think that 5, 6, maybe, maybe 7. I'm not probably going to go. I think 5 or 6 is more realistic. Okay. If you're a 5 or 6 win team, you know, you're not that far away from finally starting to turn some things around and get your franchise back on track because probably some of those games that you lost, one or two maybe because you were just frankly not a better roster. You know, the Falcons line up this year against, I don't even know, who's the best team that the Falcons play? Think about who the best team that the Falcons play is, okay? So you line up against whatever this this roster and they're the best team let's let's say let's say if the falcons play the kansas city chiefs right you know you line up against that roster you know going into it that they're the better roster they're the better team than you and they go out there and they beat you maybe they beat you by 10 maybe they beat you by three maybe they beat you by 17 but you know going in that you're probably going to get outclassed okay i can live with that because our roster isn't where it is you know going to be but those teams that are maybe a little bit better than you, maybe like San Diego, you know, San Diego might be a little bit better than, you know, where we're at. I say a little bit. Hell, they've got Bosa and Mack and Herbert and all that. You know, who the hell are we kidding? You know, uh, Keenan Allen. They got all those guys out there, right? But those are games like when they have to come across the country and they're playing you at one o'clock and all this, that, and the other. You can find a way to win some of those games. So I think that the thing we're going to see is after two years that They'll put Arthur Smith's record up on the screen, but it won't paint the picture of how good of a coach he is and how good of a job that he's done. I hope we don't have to worry about saying, is he our guy or not a guy? I, you know, I'll get the bumper sticker out. Okay. I'll do the Dan Quinn bumper sticker. I believe in Arthur. All right. Thanks so much for being a part of our show today. Thanks for making hitting hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Don't forget Make your second listen be A to Z with Mark Zinno. He is back talking all things uh, Atlanta sports. He's got those opinions that 
You may not like them, but you know you got to hear them out there. So his uh, show is A to Z with Mark Zeno. It is free on YouTube, just like mine. Free and available also everywhere where you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the Locked On Sports Atlanta YouTube page. And, of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Hope you all have a great weekend. We will be back with you on Monday. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. 